You are alive to shine. I'm Beth. And I'm Kate. And this is the Shine Podcast, where we meet lots of different people and hear about the ways that they light up the world. And here's why we're doing this. We've been changed and affected by people who shine with the love of Jesus. And the world needs people like that and like you right now. So be encouraged and let your light shine. So of those four states, what's your favorite? Idaho, Washington, Oregon, or Ohio? Probably has to be Idaho. Idaho. I miss Idaho. More so the, probably the weather more than anything. The weather since we've been here is just, (laughs) I I don't know what to call it. Pick a day. Sometimes it's nice in Ohio. Yeah, like today's beautiful. Tomorrow it's supposed to rain the next two days. Our yard is so wet. You can't do anything. It's just been so inconsistent as far as the weather. And when we moved here, the guy, people we bought the house from, August, that thing's as hard as a rock. The grass dies. I haven't seen that in four years. <laughs> the weather hasn't been anything like people told me about. Because when I came over, I got transferred over for work. I came over in June, pulled our camper over, and I lived in our camper for like three months before Gail and the kids came out. And everybody's telling me, oh, you know, you're going to get so much snow here. We get like so many inches. You better get ready for the snow. It snows like 12 feet a year where I come from. Um, I'll be okay with the snow. <laughs> I'll manage. I mean, it's up where, where we're living in North Idaho. It's up to the top of our roof. I mean, we get that much snow every year. I haven't seen a fraction of that since we've been here. It we're, hasn't we're, snowed very much in the last... So with being in the Northwest, it was just more consistent. Mm-hmm. You knew what you were getting. This time of the year, this is what you're going to get. It didn't fluctuate. You didn't, Welcome to Ohio, yeah. where it's 20 degrees one day and 75 the next. I've never seen it rain like it rains here in my life. The first year we were here, it rained so hard. I mean, there was a river coming down both sides of our house. It's a good thing we have drainage ditches on both sides of our house. I mean, and they were full, almost overflowing. And I kind of looked at my wife. I'm like, what's going on out here? How is it like this every year? But, Do you think this is your last stop or you you got more stops? No, I would assume we have probably at least one more. We're both getting to that point in our lives, I think, where we want to get somewhere a little warmer because we've been up north our whole lives. She grew up in Montana. I grew up in North Idaho. Where she grew up was colder than I did. Living in Butte, you're right on the Continental Divide. It'd snow on the 4th of July. So we've kind of both talked about, yeah, I I think we're getting to that point where I'm okay wearing shorts year-round. I'd be okay with it being warm 12 months out of the year. I think, yeah, we'll probably try to get down there at some point. I mean, got to get Haley through college. She's got one more year. Gabby's homeschooled. So I think by that, after that point, I can start knocking on the door with my company and saying, hey, at some point, I'd like to get down a little further south. And um, That's nice. You have the option. Yeah. They moved me all the way out here. So won't be as much going down south. The fact that I can, I have that option is, it's kind of nice. Right. And you're still with Love's? Yeah. I've been there. It'll be 11 years this May. And I've ran stores in Washington, Oregon, Idaho. I was a district manager with them for a year out there. And I had eight, nine stores that were in Oregon, Washington, Idaho. So I had probably one of the most expansive districts in the entire company. I'd have stores eight, nine hours apart. Typically, when you're running a district, you're a couple hours apart at the very most. Because so, everything's so spread out. Yeah, you just don't have a whole lot of places out there. I mean, they're not prevalent out there yet. I mean... When I went to work for him, I didn't even know who they were. I was just applying, and the guy called me and said, yeah, this is Loves. I go, who? Like, I don't mean to be rude, but what's Loves? And he told me, I'm like, oh, 
the end of the day, it was just retail. I've been doing retail for like 35 years now, since I was 15. <laughs> so it's just really kind of all I know. Do you go by Thomas or Tom? Tom's fine. Okay. Does anyone call you Thomas? Most everybody at work. Yeah, most people oh, do. Then we shall I mean, call you Thomas. I grew up with Tom. I mean, my mom. Were you Tommy? Uh-huh. To my mom, my grandma, my grandpa, my cousins, everybody in my immediate family, I was Tommy. Anybody outside of my family that called me that, we had a problem. <laughs> uh, I'm like, you're not my mama, my grandma. Yeah. You don't call me, you know, you don't call me that. So they don't fly. growing up in school was Tom. But yeah, my mom. And professionally, you're Thomas. Yeah. Somebody called me that and it just kind of stuck. And I just kind of went, technically, I guess that's my name. So it's Thomas. We're going to be official tonight. <laughs> Let's. Welcome, Shine Podcast listeners. It's Elizabeth. It's Catherine. And we are here with Mr. Thomas Taylor. Hello. Or depending on your relations, <laughs> Tom or Tommy. But you better be related if you call him Tommy. Welcome, Tom. Thank you. Glad to have you here. Tommy was born oh, no. <laughs> in Kennewick, Washington. He was adopted when he was two weeks old, and he was raised in Lewiston, Idaho, with a brother who was six months younger than him. So you guys were like not even Irish twins, but did they treat you like twins? I think so, for the most part. You know, as as we grew up, they, everybody knew I was adopted because they didn't want people trying to figure out why we're so close in age. Growing up, it was... This is our adopted son, Tom. This is our son. His name was Charles, but we just called him Chuck. Most people knew, but the people who didn't, it was because we were so close. They were like, when's your birthday? Yeah. My mom um, wasn't supposed to be able to have kids. So um, they tried, apparently tried and tried for a while. And when they just weren't having any luck, they started the adoption process, which took them quite a few years from, from what I remember. Then they adopted me. Then six months later, here comes my brother. And I don't think my mom really knew she was pregnant until she was probably six, seven months along. She just was always told she probably wasn't going to have kids. So and she was always a bigger woman, so she didn't really think much of it. No, but when he came, it was pretty much a surprise to everybody. That's a crazy story. Your parents lived in the same house for 40 years? Yep. They bought the house when I was two and they moved out right a handful of years before we moved over here. Yeah, it was over. It was 40 plus years they lived in that same house, same street, same neighbors. So I had the luxury of living in the same place until I moved out of the house. Same schools, friends. He was a hometown boy. Yeah, yeah. just that stability. In Lewiston, Idaho. Same friends, same school system, K through 12. Yep. yep. And college was in the same town. Yep. Yeah, everything was... Pretty much right there. I didn't have to go very far for anything. I mean, Lewiston's a pretty small town. Of, it was like 25,000 people when I was growing up. Biggest employer was a, a paper mill, a pulp and paper mill that my dad was an electrician at. So had a good job. Yeah, we were always there. And I, I grew up with the same kids living on the same block and around, you know. You know there's probably still a lot of them there that have never, never moved, lived anywhere else. Tom's worked his entire career in the retail industry. He got his first job at 15. He was a box boy at Tidy Man's Grocery. And he worked for Albertsons for 20 years. That's where he met his wife, Gail. 
He was at Walmart for three years and now he's at Love's Travel and he's been there for over 11 years. That's what brought him and his family to Ohio. His wife, Gail, was on our podcast last week on April 11th, 2022. So if you didn't get a chance to listen to that, she has a very powerful testimony. But Tom and Gail have been married for 25 years. They have three children. Derek's in his 30s. Haley's 25 and Gabby is 12 years old. His hobbies include camping, riding the ATV, spending time with his family, lawn care, <laughs> landscaping, what chasing ducks. What I thought was so interesting was that Gail mentioned gardening and you've mentioned having yard work, mm -hmm. but I don't think either of you have mentioned the extent of what is happening in your backyard. That's all her. Well, her and Haley, for the most part, I, I do a lot of the manual labor and she does most of the planting. But yeah, she's got this design that she's been working on the last couple seasons. Her and Haley got into hugaculture, gardening, where you, you dig it out, you put wood and stuff, then you fill it up and you mound it. The theory, I think, is that the water collects and soaks the wood and you don't really have to water it. With all the rain that we get, the wood and stuff below retains all of it. Then it releases it throughout the rest of the year or something like that. It's amazing. She loves to garden. It's not just flowers. It's mm -mm. vegetables. She's really intent on growing everything we can eat. Better for us. It saves, you know, cheaper for our food bill. And at least, you know, we know where it's coming from. So, yeah, it's a lot of work. And I don't, with me working as much as I do, I don't get to spend as much time with her as, I, as I'd like to, but pretty extensive. She's got mm -hmm. this whole grand design that she would like to see. I have to see ask that. her for pictures. Yeah. <laughs> Stop out and it's see It's the it. real deal. Yeah. She's got a 12 by 20 greenhouse that she, we've got chickens and ducks and cats and dogs. Nice. I think the total property is pushing three acres. So we have pretty big backyard and it, we bought the house. It was nothing but lawn. Everybody around us, they don't do anything. They just mow their lawns. And us coming from, I don't know, the mountains out west, we always had animals. So in our mind, when we bought the property, it was like, I got this huge chunk of land. We're going to put chickens on it, ducks, goats, whatever we can get. Because out west, we had turkeys, chickens, ducks, a couple goats. It's like a little hobby farm back yeah. there. <laughs> We just wanted to, to be somewhere where we could have that kind of stuff. And the town I grew up in was pretty small. I didn't grow up on a farm. I grew up in a neighborhood, but everybody farmed around it. And it was just something we thought would be neat. Get the kids involved in it and let them get their hands dirty and have something that we didn't have. So, But it's been fun. She loves having her chickens. I got interested in ducks quite a few years ago, so I always kind of threw ducks into the mix. And I planted tulips this year in pots. I was so excited about them. And a raccoon <laughs> came and dug all of them up. I have like yeah. three tulips three. out of 80. I'm I'm really bitter about that. Yeah. Yeah, I got to keep, we got to keep all the chickens and ducks out of her flower beds. They'll eat them. Oh yeah, they'll eat them, trample them. She spends a lot of time. Rascals. Yeah. And then when they come in and they destroy everything, she gets pretty frustrated. <laughs> I don't so blame her. I, she knows your pain and so do I. And you walk out <laughs> and there's just a mess. You're like, oh. Gail met Jim and Dee on the bike path and they invited her to church. I think she came by herself the first time. Yep. And then a couple of weeks later, Tom and the family joined her. So they've been here for over two years. Yep. So it's good to have you on the show today. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Did you ever want to find your birth parents? I did. Um, 
you know, I got told I was adopted. I don't know. I must have been six, seven. I was pretty, very young for the most part. I got given some, I think a set of books. Kind of told you a story of what being adopted meant. I read them and I'm like, oh, okay. What does that really mean? You know, when you're six or seven, you don't really fully understand what that means. You just kind of get told, well, you're not really part of it. You know, you're not really from this family, but you're part of the family. So I think from that point forward, yeah, I always had it in the back of my mind to where I was going to find them one day. I love my parents. They're good people. But I think to me, telling me at that age, it, I think it did more harm than good. Because like I said, they when they introduced us to people, I was the adopted. This is our adopted son, Tommy. This is our son, Chuck. So there's always that division spoken. And the funny thing was, it was only my parents that said that. I never heard a word from my grandparents, anybody else in my family. It was never, I didn't think an issue that I was adopted. But when I got introduced to people that they didn't know, or they asked, and it was, yeah, he's our adopted son. And, and it caused a lot of problems between me and my brother, whether it be he thought they loved me more, or I didn't get in trouble for things that he did. They like you better or something, which was never the case. I just didn't do the things he did, and I never got caught. If I did, I just didn't get caught. <laughs> I wasn't a, a saint, and I wasn't innocent. I was, for the most part, doing a lot of things he was. I just was a little smarter about it. And I don't think he cared if he got caught, or he just did him on a bigger level than I did. We were kind of still are just two different ends of the spectrum. He was always loud and outgoing, and I was always just a quiet, shy kid. Kind of still am to a degree of Sometimes if I don't have to talk to people, I don't. I just kind of sit there and I'm okay by myself, not mm -hmm. saying nothing. There's times where I don't talk to Gail and she's like, you going to say something? Like, what do you want me to say? Silence is golden. I don't have anything to say. But it, it did. There's a lot of animosity between my brother and myself growing up. And I think to a degree, there's still some of that today. You know, I, like I said, I never, it was an issue to my grandparents or anybody else, but it was just always there in our family. I, th I think it did more harm for me than it did good. There's always that just whacking heads with one another. Um, and growing up, he just grew faster than I did. I was always smaller than him, and I really got pummeled most of my childhood growing up. If he got mad about something, he'd come and whoop on me and get in all these big fights. And I really grew up not really liking him very much um, just because of everything that we went through. Then I think like my senior year, I probably grew like five or six inches and I got finally got bigger than he was. And we got into a physical altercation at one point. I'd had enough and I just started hitting him and my dad got in between us. And I said, look, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of him always bringing up that I'm adopted. Didn't matter, whatever it was, the fact was I was adopted. And I, and I pretty much told him, I go, you ever bring it up again and we're done. And there was a lot of years I didn't, I talked to him maybe twice a year. I don't know when I really talked to him last, to be honest with you. I'll text him every now and again on his birthday and Christmas, but for the most part, that's pretty much the all the interaction we have. Did you feel like you were close with your parents? I always felt like I didn't really fit in because the three of them were alike, and I really wasn't like any of them. I kind of knew why. I mean, when you're not their biological son, you're not going to have their traits. You're not... You're not going to have a lot of things that you do when you're somebody's child. I just kind of grew up doing my own thing, kind of hanging out by myself. I had friends, 
But for the most part, I just kind of keep to myself and just try to stay out of the way and stay out of trouble and did what I was told. So I didn't get in a whole lot of trouble. And like I said, he was always Or you didn't get caught. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Are they still alive? My parents? Yeah. My dad is. Uh, My mom passed away four years this month, 25th of this month. She passed away from liver cancer. My dad is alive, living in Oaksdale, Washington. He's going to be 77 or 78. And I talk to him not as often as I should, probably twice a month. Um, I'll call him. So tell us, Tom, who or what turned your light on? You know, it was probably happened in Vancouver when we were living in Vancouver, Washington. We were going to a called Crossroads Community Church in Vancouver. Gail had started going and... Most of the time, that's kind of how I get involved in churches because of her. Without her, I'd be off in the weeds somewhere. God knows doing what. You know, there just wasn't. <laughs> so a... you didn't. You didn't grow up. No, my dad grew up in Montana. He didn't. I don't think he really knew either one of his parents. He got sent to an orphanage. He got taken in by this family in Malta, Montana, and they were ranchers. And once he got of age, they kind of sent him to a, a monastery in North Dakota. Um, so that's where he went to school. I think back then it was a Catholic one and they weren't very nice. You know, they were racking you on the knuckles. They weren't nice to you. And he grew up with that. And I think once he got away from it, he didn't want anything to do with religion. There was really no religious structure in our house. We went to a Lutheran church for a while. You know, we went to Sunday school, kind of did that thing. My parents would go, you know, they'd get on the Sunday best and go to church and you'd sit in those hardwood pews and mm-hmm. you fell asleep, got smacked upside your head. And this pastor just didn't seem like a very nice fellow, but it, at some point he did something to upset my mother. And that was it. Once he made her match, he's like, that's it. We're not going back. And I think I might've been in sixth or seventh grade when that happened. So After that point, I don't think my dad set foot in a church since then. So it just wasn't really, wasn't prevalent in our house. I mean, I knew who God was. I knew, you know, I knew right and wrong and all that, but I didn't really have a relationship with him. I didn't have a relationship with Christ. I was really never taught to have that. It was just never there for me. So, you know, and I went through the most of my life without that until I met Gail. And when we got married, we were living in the Tri-Cities and, Neither one of us were really going to church. I don't think we really started going until we moved to Vancouver. And then she found the church. And I went, you know, I would go with her as a family every Sunday. Then they had this guy, it's called Pottersfield Ministries. But he would come, you know, he would travel around and, and give sermons and be guests at guest speakers at church. I mean, he'd actually get up on, you know, on the stage and he was an actual potter that would make the clay pot why he's up there giving, you know, a sermon and, and talking. And and at the end, they always did an altar call. They always said, hey, if you haven't and you feel, you know, feel led, come up. And I just, I just heard a voice and it was like, it's time to do the right thing. This is what I want you to do. So I went up and gave my life to Christ. Then a couple of weeks, a month later, they, they were doing baptisms. So I, I went and got baptized. Then mm-hmm. kind of from that point forward, we would go to church on a regular basis and we got involved with some small groups through the church and got to know a lot of good people over there. So that was really the first time that I jumped in, I guess, with the church and given my life over and tried to do things better than I was doing it because my way wasn't working out. A lot of struggles. I was still dealing with a lot of things from growing up, a lot of anger and just resentment and 
you know, I kind of felt everything in my life that didn't go was always somebody else's fault. I never had the wherewithal to look and say, hey, maybe it's me. Maybe there's something inside of you that's not right. You need to, what are you looking for? It was always, I'll be happy when I get this, this or that or the other. And, you know, never changed. I was always just angry and irritated and kind of grouchy for a long time. And that was really when the first time everything changed is when I sat there and went through that. And like I said, I heard that voice and I was like, it's it's time. So what did that journey look for look like for you once you made that commitment? It was better. It was it just I was probably happier than I had been in a long time. Things didn't seem as bad. I didn't I just didn't get angry with people like I had before. I didn't look at everybody like I don't really like you and I don't care if, if you don't like me I don't really care I, I just it's not my problem and it was a process you know I had a lot of years and I still really didn't probably dig deep and figure out what was bothering me on the surface I seemed okay but I never really dug in and said hey what can I do to really fix what's in me you know did really well for a while then eventually kind of got off in the weeds again and just kind of going through the motions with everything and I seem to go back and forth. Things got really bad, and I'd, I'd get my nose back in the Bible where it should be on a daily basis. Then I'd get to that point where I thought things were okay, and I'd kind of go back and forth. And it seemed like that was kind of the way it was for the next handful of years up until probably a couple years ago. Then things really changed again. You know, I just got to that point where things boiled over and came to a head, and I was upstairs, and it, he showed me everything. Everything that I'd done, the way I'd been, and it was like a, I don't know, I guess a light bulb came on. That was it. That's when things changed more so than they ever had in my life. When I really got a look, good look of, I guess, how much of a, a jerk I was. How bad my marriage was, how bad of a husband and a father that I'd been. You know, in my mind, me going to work and taking care of the bills and stuff was was okay. You know, I wasn't really involved with any of the kids or Gail because I'd I'd work 10, 12 hours a day, come home, and I'd be tired. I'm like, I'm tired. If you need something done, you know, I'll do it then. If not, if you want it done faster, you're going to have to do it yourself, which a husband never should say to his wife. So, you know, that happened. It really, it just broke my heart. And he just showed me what a jerk I'd been all these years. So things have never been the same since then. When you got a picture of your sinful nature, did he also show you the love that he had for you? He did. He gave me Psalm 101. He goes, this is what I want you to live by. This is what I want to see you do on a daily basis. This is where I want, how I want you to live your life. And it was just, I love you and I've always loved you. You know, growing up being adopted, and like I said, it, I think it did more harm than good. And I actually met both my birth parents. My mom actually met on my wedding day. Oh. The day. The day I was getting married, I met my mom. Then I'd met my dad, I think, sometime after that. I think I had lunch with him for two, like, two hours, and that was it. I haven't talked to the guy since, and this was 25 years ago. He was like, what do you want? I signed the papers. I've got a family. What are you looking for? I'm like, look, I'm not, I'm not looking for anything. I'm getting married. I'm going to have a baby. I'm more interested in medical stuff than I am anything. Is there any medical things I need to know about because I'm going to have a daughter? That was really, in my mind, that's really all I wanted. You know, I kind of wanted to know who he was and, you know, why I looked the way that I did. And if there's any reason I kind of did what I did. Yeah. But he really wanted no part of it. So that kind of hurt. That was like, why? What did, what did I ever do to you? Then one night, I had a dream. 
And I didn't understand it at first. And talking with Gail, I kind of, I worked through it and I, we figured out the meaning of it. There was a young kid and an older guy. And in my dream, you know, the older figure hugged the younger one. And, he sa- and the younger one said, you're going to love me like Dave should have loved me. He goes, yes, I love you like Dave should have loved you. And that was my dad's, my father's name. It was really him, you know, the Lord telling me, I've always loved you like he should have loved you. And it was really the first time that I think I'd ever felt that in my entire life. It was. It seemed like I always struggled to fit in. Wherever I was at, I just never felt like I was a, I meshed or it was, I was a part of anything. I always felt like I was standing alone. I think it had, had everything to do with me kind of feeling like that my whole life and never just having that resentment or just wondering, what did I do? And and that's really was, hard to take into a marriage and then create a family with that. It was. Again, my, my parents were great people. I knew my dad loved my mom, but I didn't see a whole lot of it. Never held her hand, never did any of that kind of stuff. When I got married, that was my idea of a marriage is you go to work, you take care of your family, you do all that stuff. And that's not what it is at all. I thought I had a normal childhood and a normal family mm-hmm. until I had a family of my own and got through all this. And I'm like, there was nothing normal about that. Mm. I mean, everybody has their issues. and But yeah, it's hard to build your family when you don't really know how to do it. Parents didn't tell me a whole lot about marriage and having a family and raising kids. They were kind of like, here you go. Have fun. Got any questions asked, but... Good luck. Yeah. You know, that's kind of what it was growing up. They were just, I can't imagine doing that. You know, dragging all that baggage into... Getting married and having a, a stepson. Derek was a good kid. Um, he was five when Gail and I got married. And I go from being a single guy, not knowing nothing about having a family, being a dad, to marrying Gail, having Derek. Then, well, we got married in May. Haley was born in December. You know, I've got Instant a family. Instant family. Yeah. It was a struggle. You know, I always kind of knew I wanted kids. I loved Derek, loved Haley, but really wasn't good at it. I tried and I thought I did what I thought was right, Mm -hmm. but there wasn't a whole lot of love like there should have been. There was enough love to, yeah, I'm going to take care of you and provide for you. But there wasn't love because I just didn't really know how really what it meant or what it looked like until years down the road. Have you found that God is always a God of second chances and a God of redemption and restitution and restoration? You're saying you found this later in life a couple of years ago. Like, what's that process been bending with your wife and your kids who are, two of them are adults now, you know, like, how are you seeing God move in your life, in your family? Um, It's been really tremendous because I always thought I had a relationship with Haley, but there really, you know, there really wasn't a whole lot there. And it's just being there, spending the time with her, talking to her, just getting to know her again, instead of putting all my focus into work and whatever I was doing. And with Derek, it was actually at my mom's funeral, we got to talk for the first time in probably a handful of years. We just kind of both said we were sorry for the way things kind of went when he was younger. Both forgave each other and just hugged each other and have kind of moved on since then. With Gabby, it's just teaching her that she doesn't have to be afraid of me. Like I said, I used to be kind of a pretty angry guy and I would manage everything through fear. If they didn't do what I liked, I'd probably... There was never any physical abuse 
I think I spanked Haley once when she was a kid and that was it. Gabby's never been spanked that I can remember. Um, it was always just more intimidation. The death know? stare. Yeah, the giving them dirty looks stare. or kind of raising your voice at them. And they just kind of learned to be afraid of me. They could tell if I came home, I wasn't in a good mood. They just leave me alone. So there wasn't a whole lot of interaction. And it's just teaching them that I'm not like that anymore. Spending that time with them, learning what they like, what they don't like, and just being a dad. And with Gail, it's being the husband that I should have been from the very beginning. Learning how to die to myself every day and put her needs before mine. She's not here to make me happy. She's not here to serve me. She's not here to do anything for me. I'm here to be like Christ and love people and to do what he's called me to do. And that's what I try to do with them every day. So I come home, hey, what's going on? What do you need? What can I help you with? And just be that husband and that friend that I never was to him, to really any of them. Gail and I will be 25 years next month. And there's just a lot of rough years to where I wasn't her friend. And I was just a built-in roommate maybe for a while because you get busy with work, the kids, and she has, you know, she had her goals. I had my goals. We both were pretty selfish back then. And it's learning, it was just learning not to be selfish anymore. It's not about me. At the end of the day, I, I'm doing what I'm doing and I'm okay with that. I don't need to do anything more. What I need to do is take care of you and, and be the husband, the father, the dad that Christ calls me to be, like he is to me. He's given me more chances than I've ever deserved, and he's loved me when probably shouldn't have. And it's given that to them and, and trying to show them what a man, what a father, a dad, a husband should be and the way that we should act and what we should do for our family. So it's just a constant, you know, I look at him every day and I just... I'm thankful that I've gotten a second chance because in a day she didn't have to give me a second chance. She could have just said, we're done. You're out. See you later. And it would have changed everything. I never really had to worry about my, that with my parents. So having to even think about just being a divorced person and having the schedule times to see my kid just breaks my heart. And I, I, I see it all the time with kids. And it was that way with Derek. He was back and forth and it it wasn't good for him. It caused a lot of problems for him, caused a lot of problems for Gail in our marriage. So it just isn't God hates divorce. And I can understand why, because it, the kids are the ones that pay every day. Just seeing that, you know, that second chance that I get with my family is the best thing in the world to me. So tell us what lights you up. More so than anything, it's just trying to be a better person every day and being that husband, that father that I should have been. You know, my job, I guess I get most of what I do every day is to serve other people. My employees, my customers, you know, when I first started doing it, I was pretty shy. I didn't, I just kind of wanted to keep to myself. But now over the years, you, you learn to enjoy people. You know, I get these truckers, they come in from all over the country. Yeah. And so you do, you get, you get to see a lot of different people every day. And it's, you have that ability to, I can make their day better. I can make it worse. And hopefully I make their day better and I can make my employees' days better by trying to help them with things going on at work or give them words of encouragement. Just to see my family grow, to see Derek grow into the man that he is. Haley, both my girls are becoming beautiful, incredible women and getting to, to grow old with my wife and, and go through life's journey and, and just see things that I never really looked at before because I was just a guy. I think if I had two boys, my life would be drastically different than it is with two daughters um, <laughs> because I see things that I would never see because of the girls. You know, I see the pretty things in life because they're always pointing stuff like that out. And growing up, 
I never pay attention to that stuff. My dad never paid attention to that stuff. So I get to see the pretty things in life with the That's girls. So it, it's fun. It, it's been a privilege and an honor to have those three women in my life. So it sounds like the things that are lighting you up right now are how you're also letting your light shine in yeah. pouring into your family and trying to probably trying to make up for lost time. Yeah, I think it'd be trying to make up for a lot of years of not. I was there, but I wasn't there. You know, I was focused on other things and really learning to enjoy them. It's amazing. Every day is a new day and I don't know what I'm getting myself into some days with them. And, and, I, and I love it. It's just, you know, like I said, trying to, to show them what your dad, what your husband, your father, what they're supposed to be, the way, the way we're supposed to be, the way Christ calls us to be, to, to everybody, um, just so they don't have to go through the same struggles I went through. Hopefully they can see me go through these changes and know, hey, you don't have to live your life like that. You don't have to be angry. You don't have to do this X, Y, and Z if you're upset. If something's bothering you, talk to somebody because there wasn't a lot of that when I was a kid. You know, growing up back then, it was shut up, put your boots on and and get over it. We don't talk about our emotions. You know, you're going to talk about your emotions, you're weak. That's kind of the way it was in our household. And I don't want them to, to have to do that. I want them to know that, yeah, you're going to get upset. Things aren't going to go your way. You're going to get frustrated. And that's okay. But you can talk about it and you can work through it. You don't have to live that way. That's so interesting that you talk about the anger that you have because anger is a secondary emotion. So you've probably spent your whole life feeling all these emotions and being told, nope, you're not allowed. Put There's no away. place for that. That's, yeah. you know, suck it up, buttercup, Yeah, which I do say to my child sometimes. But and then it comes out as anger. It does. Yeah. And, you know, but really it's hurt. It's abandonment. It's feeling rejected. It's mm -hmm. feeling like... It's all these other feelings and it displays as anger. And I think, I think sometimes in society, like anger is accepted. It's an acceptable emotion for men mm -hmm. because people don't want to see the hurt or the sadness. I think society pushes that on men like, oh, you can be angry. That's normal. That's, you know, you're a jerk, but it's normal. Instead of saying, hey, what's underneath that? Why is there anger there? Let's unpack that a little bit. Have you found as you've exchanged the anger that there's been a flood of other things that you're like, oh, I don't know if I want to. <laughs> How's that process been? It's been interesting. You're right, because you do get told, look, it's OK to be angry for if you're a fellow, you're going to get angry. That's just kind of the way it is. It's part of being a man. Not really. You should be told, yeah, you're going to have all these feelings, but it's OK to have them. It's okay to talk to somebody about them. It's okay to work through them and figure them out, figure out why you're feeling that way. And to get some help if you need to. Talk to your wife, talk to another another man. When we were in Vancouver, there was this, he was a retired military, Air Force colonel who kind of, we got to be really good friends with. And over the years, I could kind of talk to him about some certain things and him being in the military, you know, there's even, that's kind of even more prevalent. But he always kind of said, yeah, you know, there's nothing wrong with talking through it. It's just finding that right person that you can talk to and, and get things out there so you're not so angry. And, and I think everybody needs to have that. Derek was pretty angry for a long time. Um, you know, him and I both were. He finally learned that he could talk about things and work through some things. And we did. Like I said, we, we talked about things, about what he did, about what I did. And we just kind of forgave each other. And, you know, our relationship's been fine ever since. And 
first step is, you know, for me was just figuring out what am I, what is going on? Am I really angry or is it the hurt, the abandonment? You just don't talk about it a whole lot. As a guy, it's hard to open up and say, hey, yeah, this hurt me when I was a kid and I don't really understand why it doesn't make any sense to me. You know, sometimes I still think about it. What did I do? Did I do something wrong? And I just got to tell myself, no, it wasn't your decision. You were kind of the product of that decision and you didn't do anything wrong. You're not any different than anybody else. You're not less than, you're not, you had two parents that never got married and that was kind of it. I love that dream that you had. Yeah. You know, like God shows up sometimes when you can't rationalize it in your head or in the daytime, you know, like God will show up in your dreams and, you know, you needed that. I did. You, You needed to know that you were loved and that you're worthy of love. I love that. Mm-hmm. Like he shows up in your dream. And I think that's even sweeter because people can tell you, well, you're loved, Tom. God loves you. But when God shows up in your dream and shows you and tells you, it's yeah. it's a whole new level. Yeah. What, 40, 48 years old and finally have that dream and you know, go through most, you know, all of your adult life for the most part, wondering and thinking and, and chewing on it. And to finally have that was, it was, it was just crazy. I just was, I'd finally gotten resolution to it. I, I, I didn't worry about it anymore. I knew that he loved me unconditionally and didn't matter. Didn't matter if Dave didn't love me, anybody else, it didn't really matter. He did. And that's all that counts. And that's all, and today it's all I need. Like I said, I'd met my birth mom years ago and got to have a pretty good relationship with her. Nice lady. Um, she lives in Gig Harbor, Washington. She got married later on in life, have a son. I think I have a half-brother. I got to develop a relationship with her, and she's a good gal. <laughs> so I don't talk to her much anymore. For the longest time, I, I kind of kept it away from... I didn't talk about it a whole lot with my parents because I could see the hurt in my mom's eyes. I'm like, look, mom... You're my mom. You got you guys raised me. That nothing's ever going to change that. But you know, there's just things I need to know. So apart from your dream, which was really supernatural, and yeah. God coming through and speaking to you, do you have any other supernatural stories? Or if not, you can just share something interesting. Not really. You know, that was really the probably the craziest thing that's ever happened. My child was pretty normal. You know, I didn't have a whole lot going on. Are you still into sports now? You know, I watch them. I don't play them a whole lot. I yeah. d- just don't have the time. I think, we, you know, we go out and we'll ride bikes or kayak or something like that. But I, I've never really got into basketball or baseball or anything like that since I was a kid. Did you golf? I did before I got married. I golfed quite a bit. Then once I got married and had to start buying diapers, that all that kind of yeah. kind of went out the window. Funny, funny story about golf. I was supposed to be out buying a wedding ring. So I was out with my buddies, my roommates, and we were out shopping. And I just couldn't find a ring I liked. But I found a set of golf clubs I liked. So I came home with a set of golf clubs. Oh, my instead, God. Instead of a wedding ring. And... Caleb goes, well, did you find one? I go, no, but I found some golf clubs. I'm sure that went well. Yeah, let's just say that didn't go over too well. (laughs) Um, She was like... She should have read the signs back then. (laughs) So she got, you know, a little bit irritated. And then I'd found a ring I'd liked. And I looked around some more. I just couldn't really find a different one. So I went back to get the one that I liked. 
and it was gone. Oh, no. So, you know, lucky for her, I had to get a bigger, bigger, more expensive one. <laughs> so I got it and I went to, you know, do the whole proposal thing. And she's like, I already bought it. I already bought my own wedding ring. And she'd bought the one that I was going to buy because she didn't want to wait. She was a little irritated with me. So she's Stop. like, I'm just going to buy my own wedding ring. <laughs> no way. Yeah. Did she swap? Yeah. We took hers back and <laughs> she got the bigger one. So that's so funny. Needless to say, the golf clubs went back and I bought the wedding ring and and then we were married a short time later. You're a headstrong pair. Well, you know, growing up, I just, in my mind, nobody was really going to take care of me but myself. With all the things that happened between me and my brother, if I'm going to get anything, get anywhere, I want anything, I'm going to have to do it myself. So I got pretty set in my ways and stubborn and like, I don't depend on anybody. I'm the only one that's going to get me anywhere. I had that stubborn, stupid attitude. And and with Gail's background, she had to take care of herself. She yeah. had to provide for herself, yeah. get herself through school, raising a you know a young son by herself. So, yeah, our worlds kind of yeah, collided and we're both stubborn, pig-headed. <laughs> Nobody's going to give an inch, you know, got our goals. And it was, it, it was kind of rough for a while yeah. until probably the first 10, 10 15 years. We, and again, I wasn't I wasn't close to the husband I should have been in, in doing anything the right way. It was all about me and what I wanted. And That's so amazing, though, because almost 25 years later. By the grace of God, 25 years later. Right? Oh, my yeah. gosh. Only by the grace of God. Yeah. Because everything I ever did just blew up in my face. My way just leads me off into the weeds and I get all going the wrong way and backwards and the only time where my life goes like it should is when my nose is in my bible and i'm following him and you know the first half an hour of my day reading my bible i listen to a, a guy named dan moeller a lot on youtube and his sermons he's helped me quite a bit because he's of that mindset of you know he was kind of the same he was worse way worse than i was for a lot a lot of years God got a hold of him and changed him. So yeah. I, I do. I listen a lot to him and he resonates with me. He kind of gives me a clear path of what I need to be doing and where I need to be going. In his mind, this is you're here for to live like Christ does. Your wife's not here for you. Nobody's here for you. Your wife shouldn't offend you. Nobody should offend you. If you're dying to yourself every day like you should, would you care what somebody says? It shouldn't matter. It doesn't matter. And that's kind of... That's what I've been trying to do the last couple of years is really, if somebody says something you might don't like, I don't really care. It doesn't matter. It's not about me anymore. Yep. You know, because it was about me for so long. Everything was about me. And now I don't want it to be about me. I want it to be about what Christ wants for me, what I should be doing and the way I should be doing it and what's best for everybody else. Mm -hmm. we, we do talk about our Sozo ministry often on here. That, you know, sozo is a Greek word, which means saved, healed, and delivered. And, you know, sometimes we get saved, mm -hmm. you know, in an instant. We say we, we believe, we say that prayer, and we are saved. But if we would just let them work on that healing and that deliverance thing, right when we say we're saved, you know, I mean, yeah. life's a journey, so sometimes it takes us a while. But, yeah. you know, you were saved, you made that decision, but there's still, it was a long journey to get to the point where you're like, I think I need healed. Yeah. <laughs> and we're all like that, you know, God, you need to 
put your finger on that hurt and that pain and that wound and heal it and get delivered. So we, we believe in that ministry here and we want people to be saved, but we want them to be healed and delivered and walking in freedom because God, God wants us to live a life of abundance in him. And it's available. It's, it's available. I think sometimes we just have to get over ourselves and it's interesting to me, you know, it just makes me think a little bit about the phrase toxic masculinity that we we've kind of created that culture by saying, guys, you can't have feelings. You can't be hurt. You can't buck up. Yeah, that's what it's created, but God wants to touch that and heal that, and He created masculinity, and it's okay to have feelings, and it's okay to process things and to say, that really hurt, and I I need to get healing from that. So kudos to the guys that do that work, even when society's screaming, you got to buck up and be a man, and you're not allowed to. So Yeah, and there was was a long time you know, minimum 10 years between being saved and being healed. Everything changed at that moment upstairs where he just showed me the way everything was, everything that had bothered me and had affected me all those years finally was gone. I went from one person into another. I'm completely different than the way that I was before. I would never want to ever go back to that person ever again. I am. And guys, we have a Sozo ministry team that's got guys on it. So if you're a guy and you want to get Sozoed with Pastor Greg and Chuck, you know, that that's available or anybody from the Sozo team. And thanks, Tom, for being on here and yeah, sharing your you. story. Thank and you. thanks for having me. You know, if, if you're out there listening and feeling like, oh, that sounds like me and I can't stand myself. <laughs> even though I'm saved because I'm still dealing with a lot of issues. Like Jesus loves you and he wants to transform your life just like like he transformed Gail's life, like he transformed Tom's life and he can do it. You know, sometimes it takes some work of doing the work of getting healing, but God is into the business of transformation and restoration. So we appreciate your story and I'm sure um, it's encouraging to hear. So thanks a lot. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Make sure you tune in next week for another special guest. Bye. Bye.